chapter twenty four of asphodel this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org asphodel by mary elizabeth braddon chapter twenty four i fleeth the time it woe no man abide nearly six months had gone since that wintry parting when the lovers clasped hands and blessed each other under the sign of aries and now it was midsummer and all the fields were green and the limes were breaking into blossom and the hawthorn flower was dead and the last of the bluebells had faded and all the white orchard blooms the tender loveliness of spring belonged to the past for the beauty of earth and nature is a thing of perpetual change so closely allied with death that in every rapture there is the beginning of a regret gerald goring had returned not quite so soon as he had promised beside the winter hearth but in time to offer birthday greetings to lena and to assist in those legal preparations and argumentations which preceded the marriage settlement in this case a formidable document involving large interests and full of consideration for children and grandchildren yet unborn for daughters dying unmarried or requiring to be dowered for marriage for sons who might have to make marriage settlements of their own there was to be a complete family history put hypothetically in miss lawford's marriage settlement vainly had lena tried to dower her sister with half or at least some portion of her own wealth daphne obstinately refused to accept any such boon and edgar as obstinately sustained her in her determination i won't accept a penny said she i don't want a halfpenny with her said he a refusal which mrs turchill considered supreme folly on the part of son and daughter-in-law for what improvements might have been made at hawksyard with a few spare thousands whereas her son's income though ample for all the needs and comforts of this life left no margin for building why should not daphne have a range of hothouses like those mr goring has built for her sister argued mrs turchill or why should not you rebuild the stables which are dreadfully old-fashioned i would not change the dear old-fashioned for worlds mother now that i have made every sanitary improvement answered edgar least of all would i improve hawksyard into a modern house with goring's money but it is not mr goring's money that is offered it is miss lawford's that is the same thing the loss would be his don't talk any more about it mother daphne and i have made up our minds this was decisive for mrs turchill knew that daphne's word was edgar's law she was reconciled to the idea of the marriage but in her confidences with deborah she could not help talking of her son's attachment as an infatuation gerald had come back considerably improved in health and spirits by his canadian and hudson's bay adventures 
he had crossed the turtle mountain and the arid plains beyond and from the crest of one of the sweet grass hills had seen the rugged and snowy outline of the rockies standing out in full relief against the western skyline he had shot a bear or two and had some experience of wolves he had eaten pemmican and ridden a woolly horse he had slept at a hudson's bay station and had passed a night or two half frozen and wholly awake under canvas variety and adventure had done him good physically and mentally and he told himself that of that fever which had tormented him when he left england a fever of foolish longings and fond regrets idle thoughts of things that might have been he was cured wholly yet who shall say whether time might not show some resemblance between this cure and that of a dangerous lunatic who is discharged from bedlam a sane man and who cuts his mother's head off with a carving-knife a fortnight after his release the double wedding was to take place in october nothing could induce sir vernon to consent to an earlier date i shall lose my darling soon enough he said ignoring daphne in his calculations of loss let me keep her till the end of the summer let us spend this one summer together who knows that it may not be my last any wish expressed by her father would have governed madeline's conduct and this wish expressed so stringently could not be disregarded sir vernon was frequently ailing in a languid half-hearted way which looked like hypochondriasis but might be actual disease and a part of that organic evil which was never clearly described his doctor recommended an entire change of scene switzerland the engadine if he could make up his mind to travel so far and to be satisfied with the simpler diet and accommodation of that skyey world there was a good deal of discussion and it was ultimately settled that sir vernon and his daughter should start for switzerland at the end of june and move quietly about there studying the invalid's pleasure in all things sir vernon set his face against the engadine preferring the more civilized shores of lake leman which he knew by heart daphne had never been beyond fontainebleau and was enraptured at the idea of seeing snow-clad mountains and strange people gerald and edgar were to be of the party and they were only to return to england in time for the double wedding the sisters were to be married on the same day after all that had been settled for them arbitrarily by family and friends despite daphne's objection and warwickshire people were already beginning to speculate upon the details of the ceremony and to wonder what dean or bishop would be privileged to tie the knot assisted by the rev marmaduke ferrers daphne's conduct since her engagement had been unobjectionable nobody could deny her sweetness or could fail to approve the sobriety which had come over her manners and conversation her hot fits and cold fits her high spirits and low spirits were all over she was uniformly amiable and uniformly grave not taking rapturous pleasure in anything but seemingly contented with her lot in life devoted in her affection to her sister unvaryingly kind to her lover edgar was never tired of thanking heaven for the blessedness of his lot 
he had remitted his tenants five-and-twenty per cent of their march rents not that there was any special need for such indulgence but because he longed to be generous to somebody and to disseminate his overflowing joy i shall do the same for you next october in honour of my marriage he said in his speech at the audit dinner and after that i shall want all the money you can pay me as a family man madeline utterly happy in her lover's society after that interval of severance which had seemed so long and dreary cared very little where their lives were to be spent so long as they were to be together yet the idea of revisiting lake leman which she had seen and loved seven years ago in a quiet pilgrimage with her father with gerald for her attendant and companion had a certain fascination it is rather like anticipating our honeymoon is it not dear he asked laughingly but when the honeymoon comes we shall find some new world to explore would you like to take me to the red river i think that would be a shade too rough even for your endurance the italian lakes and a winter in rome would suit us better it is all very well for a man to travel in a district where he has to cover his face with a muffler and head the driving snow till he is nearly suffocated with his frozen breath and has to get himself thawed carefully at the first campfire but that kind of experience lasts a long time and it is pleasing to fall back upon the old habit of luxurious travelling and to ride in a coupe through mount cenis or st gothard and to arrive at one's destination without any large risk of being swallowed whole in a swamp or burned alive in a prairie fire i shall delight in seeing rome with you madeline answered gently i thought you would like it i really know my rome it is a subject i have studied thoroughly and i shall love playing cicerone for you it was midsummer a perfect midsummer evening the placid sky still faintly tinted with rose and amethyst yonder where the sun had just gone down behind the undulating line of willows the little town of stratford lay in its valley folded in a purple cloud only the slender church spire rising clear and sharp against that tranquil evening sky daphne had stolen away from madeline and gerald who were sitting on the terrace while edgar chained to his post in the dining-room by a lengthy monologue upon certain political difficulties with which sir vernon was pleased to favour him vainly longed for liberty to rejoin his idol she had put on her hat and had set out upon a lonely pilgrimage to stratford they were all to leave south hill early to-morrow and it was daphne's fancy to bid good-bye to the church which sheltered those ashes it were the worst of sacrilege to disturb it was an idle fancy no doubt engendered of a mind prone to idle thoughts but daphne having no urgent occupation for her time this evening fancied she had a right to indulge it i am going for a little walk she had told edgar as she left the dining-room don't fidget yourself about me from which moment poor edgar had been in agonies of restlessness turning an ear deafer than any adders to sir vernon's disquisition upon the critical state of the country and the utter incapacity of the men in office to deal with such a crisis and inwardly chafing against every extension of the subject which prolonged the seemingly endless discourse a little walk and why and where and with whom 
vainly did edgar's strained gaze explore the distant landscape from his position at the dinner-table he could see a fine range of country ten or fifteen miles away but never a glimpse of terrace or garden by which daphne must go and it was the rule of his life to show sir vernon the extremity of respect an almost old-fashioned and grandisonian reverence therefore to cut short that prosy discourse was impossible the blessed moment of release came at last sir vernon finished his claret with a sigh and left nation and ministry to their fate edgar hurried to the terrace gerald and madeline were sipping their coffee at a little rustic bamboo table the maltese fluff lying luxuriously in his mistress's silken lap have you any idea where daphne has gone edgar asked despairingly no indeed i saw her stroll down towards the river perhaps she has gone to see her aunt thanks yes i dare say replied edgar speeding off towards the rectory without waiting to consider whether the clue were worth following while mr turchill was hastening across the fields at a racing pace daphne was seated in her boat quietly drifting towards stratford along a dreamy twilit river where every willow had a ghostly look in the evening dimness she was full of grave thoughts on this her last night in warwickshire it was more than a year a year and a quarter since she had come home for good as the phrase goes and a year and a quarter makes a large section of a young life the years are so long in early youth when the heart and mind live so fast and every day is a history so strangely different from the monotonous years of middle age which glide past unawares like the level flats seen from a canal-boat each meadow so like the last that the voyager is unconscious of progress till he feels the salt breath of death's ocean creeping across the low marshes of declining life and knows that his journey is nearly done to daphne that year at south hill had been a lifetime how ardently she had felt and thought and suffered within the time what resolutions made and broken what fevers of dangerous delight and dull intervals of remorse what wild wicked hopes what black despair looking back at the time that was gone and dead she was inclined to exaggerate its joys to gloss over its pain at the worst i have been happy with him she said remembering how much of that vanished time had been spent in gerald goring's society though he is nothing to me and never can be anything to me but a man to be shunned yet we have been happy together and that is something she remembered some lines of dryden's which gerald had quoted in her presence to-morrow do thy worst for i have lived to-day be fair or foul or rain or shine the joys i have possessed in spite of fate are mine she had lived her day there had been moments in the past moments that had stirred the deeps of her soul with a power as mysterious as the sweep of the angelic wing on bethsaida's pool moments when she had fancied herself beloved by him whom to love was treason these stood out upon the page of memory in fiery characters and in their supernal light all the rest of the record seemed dull and dark there had been hours of unquestioning bliss when she had in no wise reasoned upon her happiness when she had not asked herself whether she was loved or scorned but had been happy as the summer insects are among the flowers vivified by the sunshine asking nothing but to live and enjoy that glorious warmth and brightness 
so at times she had abandoned herself to the delight of his society whom she had loved from the hour of their first meeting giving all her heart and mind to him at once as utterly as juliet gave hers to romeo she had lived her day the long vista of to-morrow and to-morrow opened before her joyless gaze and she could look down the tranquil path it was her fate to tread a wife beloved and honoured a sister fondly loved a daughter reconciled with her father mistress of a fine old house full of quaint and pleasant associations established for life in the heart of rural scenes which her soul loved surely it was not a destiny to be contemplated with such profound sadness as shattered her face to-night while she leant listlessly on her oars and drifted down the full dark river all was very quiet below the bridge when she landed at the boat-builder's yard and left her craft in charge of that amphibious and more than half intoxicated hanger on who is generally to be found waiting on fortune at every landing stage the walk to the church was dark and shadowy lights twinkling in the low cottage windows glimpses of home life dimly seen through open doors daphne walked quickly to the avenue of limes that green odorous aisle that leads to the porch there had been evening service and the lights were still burning here and there and the heavy old door stood ajar daphne pushed it gently open and crept into the chirp past the stately monuments of mediaeval cloptons whose marble effigies reposed in solemn pomp upon sculptured tombs rich in armorial emblazement in the faint light and mysterious shadow the stony figures looked like real sleepers waiting for the last dread summons daphne stole past them with noiseless footfall and crept along the aisle to the lovely old chancel where just within the altar rails william shakespeare takes his last earthly rest the sexton came out of the vestry to see whose footfall it was that fell so lightly on that everlasting flint daphne was standing by the altar rail in a reverie looking up at the calm sculptured face so serene in its contentment with a life which in the vast range and dominion of a mind that was in itself a kingdom had held all things worth having these are the full and rounded lives complete and perfect in themselves the calm and placid lives of contemplative men for whom the gates of the spiritual universe stand ever open who are in no wise dependent upon the joys and gains and triumphs of this work-a-day world were you always happy my calm-faced shakespeare wondered daphne could you have sounded all the deeps of sorrow without having yourself suffered i think not yet there seems hardly any room in your life for great sorrow except perhaps in the loss of that child who died young was anne hathaway your only love i wonder you who wrote so sweetly of sorrowful hopeless love or was there another another whom we know as juliet and imogen and cordelia another from whom you always lived far apart yet whom you always loved i beg your pardon miss said the sexton i'm going to lock up the church let me stay a few minutes longer pleaded daphne taking out her purse i'm going away from england to-morrow and i've come to say good-bye to the dear old church are you going to be away long miss nearly three months that's a very short time said the old man pocketing daphne's half-crown i thought perhaps you were going away for many years going to settle somewhere across the sea it hardly seems like saying good-bye to the church if you are to be back among us this side 
michaelmas no said daphne dreamily looking along the shadowy nave where broken rays of moonlight from the painted windows shone upon the dark oak benches like dropped jewels it is not long but one never knows to-night i feel as if it were going to be for ever i am so fond of this old church no wonder miss it's a beautiful church you should hear the americans admire it i suppose they've nothing half as good in their country the moon was up when daphne left the church and walked round by headstones and memorial crosses to the shaded path beside the river where here and there a seat on the low wall invited the weary to repose in the cool shade of ancient elms the broad full river looked calm and bright under the moonlit sky the murmur of the weir sounded like a lullaby daphne walked slowly to the end of the path and stood for a long time looking down at the river she felt curiously loath to leave the spot yet it was time she were on her homeward way they would miss her perhaps and be perplexed and even anxious about her but in the next moment she dismissed the idea of any such anxiety on her behalf lena will not think about me while mr goring is with her and my father is not likely to trouble himself there is only poor edgar and he will guess which way i have come and follow me if he takes it into his head to be uneasy reassured by this idea daphne resolved to gratify her fancy for farewells to the uttermost and to say good-bye to the house where the poet was born stratford streets were very empty and quiet at this period of the summer evening and she met only a few people between the churchyard and the sacred dwelling to a stranger entrance into the sanctuary at such an hour would have been out of the question but daphne was on friendly terms with the lady custodians of the temple and knew she could coax them to unlock the door for her pleasure never lamp or candle was admitted within the precincts but on such a night as this there would be no need for artificial light and daphne only wanted to creep into the quaint old rooms to look round her quietly for a minute or two and feel the spirit of the place breathing poetry into her soul i have such a strange fancy that i may never see these things again she said to herself as she stood in the moonlit garden where only such flowers grew as were known in shakespeare's time the two ladies lived in a snug little house with a strictly elizabethan front and casement windows that looked into the poet's garden all that taste and research and an ardent love could do had been done to make shakespeare's house and its surroundings exactly what they were when shakespeare lived the wise men of stratford had brought their offerings in the shape of old pictures and manuscripts and relics of all kinds the rooms had been restored to their original form and semblance and pilgrims from afar had no longer need to blush for the nation which owned such a poet and held his memorial so lightly a very different state of things from the vulgar neglect which obtained when washington irving visited stratford the maiden warders of the house were a little surprised at so late a visit but received daphne kindly all the same and were disposed to be indulgent to girlish enthusiasm in so worthy a cause it was against the rules to open the house at so late an hour but as no light was needed daphne should be allowed just to creep in and bid good-bye to the hearth beside which shakespeare had played at his mother's knees one would think you were going away for a long while miss lawford said one of the ladies smiling at daphne's eager face it was exactly what the sexton had said and daphne made the same answer as she had given him one never knows she said ah but we know you are coming home to be married in the autumn we have heard all about it stratford bells will ring a merry peal on that day i should think though i suppose the wedding will be at arden church 
i'm so glad you are going to settle in the neighbourhood like your sister what a grand place goring abbey is to be sure my sister and i drove over in a fly last summer to look at it we went all over the house and grounds it is a beautiful place yet i don't know but that i like mr turchill's old manor-house best so do i answered daphne absently of course you do cried the other sister laughing that's only natural they all three went across the garden in the moonlight and the elder sister unlocked the house door would you like to go in alone she asked you are not afraid of ghosts of shakespeare's ghost no i should dearly love to see him i would fall on my knees and worship the beautiful spirit go in then we'll wait in the garden daphne went softly into the empty house it was more ghostly than the church more uncanny in its emptiness she felt as if the disembodied souls of the dead were verily around and about her that empty hearth on which the moonbeams shone so coldly those dusky walls a vacant chair or two a gleam of coloured light from an old scrap of stained glass how cold it all felt in its dismal loneliness she tried to conjure up a vision of the poet's home three hundred years ago in its old-world simplicity its homely comfort and repose a world before steam-engines gas and electricity a world in which printing and gunpowder were almost new to think of it was like going back to the childhood of this earth daphne left the outer door ajar crept softly through the rooms half expectant of ghostly company what tricks moonbeam and shadow played upon the walls upon the solid old timber crossbeams where in the unregenerate days a quarter of a century ago pilgrims used to pencil their miserable names upon the wood or whitewash childishly fancying they were securing to themselves a kind of immortality daphne stood by the window with her heart beating feverishly and her ear strained to catch the footfall of the sisters in the garden and thus to be sure of human company she looked along the empty street moonlighted peaceful even the tavern over the way a place of seeming tranquillity notable only by its glimmering window and red curtain the silence and shadowiness of the house were beginning to frighten her in spite of her better reason when a step came behind her a firm light tread which her ear and heart knew too well it seemed almost as if her heart stopped beating at the sound of that footfall she stood like a thing of marble scarce breathing the step had crossed the threshold of the outer room and was drawing nearer when an eager voice outside broke the spell is she there have you found her it was edgar's voice at the outer door yes where else should she be answered gerald goring well my lady i hope you are satisfied with the nice little dance you've led us he said to daphne as coolly as if he had been talking to a refractory child you need not have troubled yourself about me she answered curtly i told lena i was coming for a walk how did edgar know i was here edgar knew nothing answered gerald with a light laugh that was something too scornful for perfect friendship edgar would as soon have looked for you at guy's cliff at or warwick castle or in the moon i knew you were nothing if not shakespearean and when i heard you had taken your boat i guessed you had gone to worship at your favourite shrine we heard of you at the church and hunted for you among the trees and tombs and then we went back to the landing-stage where you always stop don't you know when you go as far as stratford and finding you had not come back for your boat i was almost in despair but gerald suggested shakespeare's birthplace and here we are 
it was gerald then who had found her it was gerald whose quick sympathy prompt to divine her thoughts had told him where she would be her future husband the man to whom she was bound had guessed nothing had no faculty for understanding her fancies whims and follies how wide apart must she and he remain all their lives though nominally one they all three went quietly back to the garden where the sisters were waiting amused at daphne's folly and thinking it quite the most charming thing in girlhood for to these vestals shakespeare was a religion i am really very sorry to have caused you so much trouble said daphne apologizing in a general way but i had no idea my absence would give any one concern perhaps i have been longer than i intended to be it struck ten a quarter of an hour ago said edgar that's really dreadful i had no idea it was so late daphne bade the sisters good-bye apologizing humbly for her nocturnal visit they went to the garden gate with her and stood there watching the light slim figure till it vanished in the moonlight full of interest in her prettiness and her fancies is it not a sweet face asked one and was it not a sweet idea to come and bid good-bye to this house before she went abroad said the other daphne and her companions walked down to the landing-stage talking very little by the way edgar and his betrothed side by side gerald walking apart with a cigar daphne wanted to row but edgar insisted on establishing her in the stern wrapped in a shawl which he found in the boat he took the sculls and gerald reclined in the bows smoking and looking up at the night sky it was a lovely night all the landscape sublimated by that glory of moonbeam and shadow into something better and more beautiful than its daylight simplicity every little creek and curve of the river a glimpse of fairyland all things so radiantly and mysteriously lovely that daphne almost hoped to see the river god and his attendant nymphs disporting themselves in some reedy shallow on such a night as this one would expect to see the old greek gods come back to earth i can't help feeling sorry sometimes like alfred de musset that they are all dead and gone she said looking with dreamy eyes down the moonlit tide across which the shadows of the willows fell so darkly i think considering the general tenor of their conduct every proper-minded young lady ought to feel very glad we have got rid of them said gerald throwing away the end of his cigar which fizzed and sparkled and made a little red spot in the moonlit water a light that was of the earth earthy amidst all that heavenly radiance how would you like to be run away with by a wicked old man disguised as a bull or to have the earth open as you were gathering daffodils and a still wickeder old gentleman leap out of his chariot to carry you off to tartarus how dare you call zeus old cried daphne indignantly the gods were forever young well he was a family man at any rate and ought to have known better than to go masquerading about the plains and valleys when he ought to have been sitting in state on olympus answered gerald now such a river on such a night as this puts me in mind of old german legends rather than of greek gods and goddesses i shouldn't be a bit surprised if miss daphne lawford were suddenly to develop into an undine and take a header into the river cleaving the silvery tide and going down to depths beyond any earthly fathom line leaving turchill and me aghast in the boat i have often envied undine answered daphne i love the river so dearly that years ago i used really to fancy that there must be a bright world underneath it where there are gnomes and fairies and where one might be happy for ever even now though i have left off believing in fairies i cannot help thinking that there is profound peace at the bottom of this quiet river if you were to go down experimentally in a diving bell i am afraid you would find only profound mud said gerald with his cynical laugh 
since his return from canada he had treated daphne much in the old fashion as if she were a child upon whose foolishness his wisdom looked down from an ineffable height there was nothing in manner word or look to show that he remembered that one fatal moment of self-betrayal when his passionate heart gave up its secret i wonder what daphne will think of this turbid avon after she has seen lake leman he speculated presently eh turchill the lake is a great deal wider said edgar with his matter-of-fact air and those capital steamers are a great attraction a lake with steamers upon it too horrible cried daphne i shall not like it half so well as my romantic avon though its waters are sometimes drumly dear old avon they were at the boat-house by this time and she was stepping on shore as she spoke how long before i shall see you again less than three months said edgar clasping her hand as she sprang up the steps which bink had cut in the meadow-bank not quite three months and then darling in a lower tone you will be all my own and i shall be the happiest man on earth who knows returned daphne how can one be sure when one is leaving a place that one will ever come back to it good-bye dear old river she cried turning to look back at it with eyes full of tears i feel as sad as if i were taking my last look at you End of chapter 24